And we did kick off last week just talking about uh, Go Fish, and in particular from the book of Mark, talking about the first four guys that Jesus called. Those first four guys were professional fishermen, okay? And so um, I've kind of had fishing on the brain this past week, thinking about that, and, and I thought about this time when I was 16. Now, Julie and I just kind of started dating, and uh, her dad is an avid fisherman in southern Illinois. That's where we grew up. We're raised. We're raised really close. If you've ever gone through southern Illinois on Interstate 57, you'll pass by a golf course. It's Rin Lake Golf Course, and there's a a large lake there. Uh, It's well-known in that area. We grew up real close to that lake. And so I can remember when he invited me to go fishing this particular day. He said, come go fishing with me and my son. And so Julie's younger brother, Craig, and myself and her dad, we we head out on this fishing trip. Now, I love to fish, but I wasn't great. I'm just 16. He's like... This guy's good. He fishes some tournaments and stuff. I mean, they, they, they're avid fishermen. So we're going bluegill fishing. Some people call those brim. We call them bluegill. And that's what we're fishing for. And some, at some point in this morning of our little fishing venture, he becomes very frustrated with me, the new boyfriend. Okay? And, and what's happening is he's catching fish right and left. Cork goes under, boom, he's setting, he's setting the hook, he's pulling them in, they're, they're fish are coming in, Craig's catching them. My cork would go under, and I'd pull up, and there's nothing every single time. And finally, he just says, Joe, what are you doing? I said, oh, this isn't good, you know, new, you know, uh, uh, girlfriend's dad, and he's mad, he's frustrated, he's upset. He said, listen, son, he said, bluegill, they're not a finesse fish. When you catch a bluegill, you've got to set the hook. Oh, great, now this bluegill's making me look like a little sissy boy, you know front of my girlfriend's dad, you know, and so I'm getting upset, and I'm frustrated, so you know, you know where this is going, man. The next time my little cork just began to move, buddy, I mustered every ounce of strength I had as a 16-year-old, and I set the hook, and it was like a scene out of Nemo. I mean, I felt like I was in this this slow-motion cartoon because immediately, in slow motion, this screaming fish with eyes this big around came flying out of the water, past my head. Wow! Here comes this fish, because I set the hook. And I turned just in time to see this flying, screaming bluegill slap Julie's dad upside the head. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I am not exaggerating. My kid, you can ask him. He'll be here probably in the next few minutes. Just ask him about it. Now, I'm lucky it didn't knock him out of the boat. Seriously, you know. But it did get worse. Because as I looked at her dad and I see his eyes are big, he's like, he doesn't even know what just happened. He's like, what in the world? I noticed blood trickling down his ear. Because fish have fins. And this crazy bluegill manipulated his body to the point when it flew through the air, he pronged my father-in-law, future father-in-law, in the ear. And so his ear's bleeding. Well, let me just say, it took some time before he ever invited me to go fishing again. I mean, that was it. Uh, I have been fishing again. He puts me kind of far away from him, and, and, uh, but it's good. It's a good time. We love it. Love to fish. And so we started out last week talking about um, these first four fishermen. And what we, what we talked about was the fact that when Jesus called them, he said this. He, said, he makes his agenda for them very clear right up front. He says, come follow me, and I'm going to make you into something. Some of you are struggling getting that, that whole image of that fish hitting him upside the head, aren't you? Out of, out of your mind? Yeah, I'm sorry. It'll get there. Jesus says, uh, follow me, and I'm going to make you into something. And what he says he's going to make us into is not always our first thought. Because our first thought is, if the, if the Son of God's going to do something for us or make us into something, maybe he's going to make us a better person. 
a better dad, a better fisherman, uh, a better husband, a uh, smarter, holier, wealthier, whatever. We've got all these different ideas. If we had to choose what God could do for us, our list is a little bit different. But Jesus says right up front for these four, first four disciples, and, and by the way, his agenda for them is the same for us today. He says, come follow me and I'm going to make you into something. He says, follow me and I'll make you what? Help me out. Fishers of men. That's right. He says, come follow me and I'll make you into fishers of men. And some of you, even this week, have just struggled with that. It's like, oh, why is he, you know, what's going on with this? Why, Pastor Joe, why fish? Why can't I just live my life and, and just, you know, follow Jesus? Why fish? Because Jesus says, the point is, if you're going to follow me at some point, you're going to become a fisherman. Fishing for men and for women. At some point, that's his desire, is that you and I would begin to lead people closer to him. Okay, that's what it's all about. And so today, I want us to answer this question, why fish? Because when you, when you come to an understanding from a biblical perspective of why we fish, I think it changes how you follow. I think it helps you through some of those frustrations and those struggles that you can sometimes have. And so to help us answer that question, we're going to look at this great story from the book of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. In the book of Acts, it's all about the story of the New Testament church and how the church was launched, okay? It's an incredible book, and in that book, we're going to have a story of Peter and John, two of those first four guys that Jesus called to follow him because he's going to make them into fishers of men. It's found in Acts chapter 3. If you have your Bibles or your iPads, turn there with me. I want to just look at this passage here. And, and uh, just incredible, very rich. So much stuff here for us. Again, we've got to answer the question today. Why fish? Why fish? Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Check out this story. It says, Now Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. They're heading to church, basically, in our culture today is what we'd say. And so this was the time of the day where people would go to the temple and pray. They're going there, but they're going to see something. Look at what they see in, in verse 2. It said, And a man lame from birth was being carried. We would say today that he was crippled or, or handicapped since birth. He was born this way, okay? And he was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple. He couldn't walk. He couldn't get there on his own. So he had some friends who carried him. They sat him at the gate of the temple, at the doors of the church, so to speak. It was called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Alms would be what? Money. We call it a lot of different things in our society. Cash, change, beans, cha-ching, whatever you want to call it, okay? Alms is here, what they talked about. This is the ESV version, and that's what they were after. He, he, he needed money, right? Because he couldn't work. He was lame. He, his legs didn't work since birth, and so this is how he managed to make enough money to get by, to feed himself, to care for himself. He begged for money at the gates of the temple. And notice what it says, Peter, or seeing Peter, verse 3 and John, about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. So this is, this is the, the crippled man. He, he asked him, he says, hey, can you help me out? Help the crippled man out today. And Peter directed his gaze at the man. He looked at the man, and so did John. And they called him to look at them. He, they said, look at us. And in verse 5, he said, and he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something. Why? Because that's what everybody else did. Everybody else would throw a little change into his basket. They'd give him a little bit of help, a dollar here, a dollar there, whatever it might be. That's what he get. That's what he was expecting from them. But look at what happens. Peter said, 
I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Can you imagine, just for a moment, can you imagine this experience and being there and being able to see what took place at this point in time? Because every day, for all these people's lives, they'd been seeing this, this the little boy who was born this way grow up begging at the temple gates. Here he is, older now, and he'd been begging. They've seen it all this time. They'd never seen him walk. They'd never seen this happen. And look what happens. He took him by the right hand, verse 7, and raised him up, and immediately, immediately, that's hard for us to fathom, his feet and ankles were made strong. It's not like when we take an aspirin and gradually our headache goes away. This was an immediate healing. So much so that he didn't just stand up. What's it say in the Bible that he did? And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered into the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. I can't imagine what that must have been like. Not only for this young man, but for everybody else standing around to look and to see. It wasn't what they expected. They were coming to the temple to pray. And now they've seen a miracle. Look at what happens in verse 9. And the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him. They saw him, they recognized, they knew this was the guy who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms or money. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. When's the last time you were filled with wonder and amazement because of something you'd seen God do? These people were blown away. They were amazed at what they'd seen happen. And and then in Acts chapter 3, verse 11, look at this. While he clung to Peter and John. So at some point, as he's leaping and dancing and, and shouting and praising God, going into the temple, he goes over to Peter and John and he clings to these guys. Because for the first time in his life, he can feel his legs and his ankles and their strength and he can get up and he can walk. And so he clings to him. And all the people, people utterly astounded, ran together around them in the portico called Solomon. So this, this group of everybody that was there in the temple that day just immediately gathered around. Because here was this miracle that had just taken place. Here's this guy screaming and shouting for joy. A guy that they had all seen crawl around or lay by the temple gate begging for money because he couldn't walk. But now... He was up walking. And so Peter realizes at that point in time that he's got a crowd. And they're paying attention. Everyone's looking at him. He's got everybody's attention, right, because of this miracle. And the guy's hanging on to him. So being a good preacher, he says, this is a time for a sermon. I've got everyone's attention, okay, unlike us up here sometimes. And he says, uh, says, so here's the deal. He He begins to share this incredible message with these people. Now, not only did he have the attention of the people of the temple that day, but he had the attention of the religious leaders of the day. The religious leaders who were also there at the temple, and they recognized Peter and John as being those guys who hung out with Jesus who had been crucified. They realized that because Jesus was crucified, these guys hanging out with him, they were troublemakers. And here they were now teaching in the temple. So they were very upset. They actually had Peter and John arrested thrown in jail. This was in the evening, so they thought, we'll throw him in jail now, we'll take care of him tomorrow. So much reward for healing a crippled man, right? They do this incredible thing through the power of God in this guy's life, and this guy's up dancing around, and because of it, they get thrown in jail. That's exactly what took place. Now, all all of you type A people are going to struggle with me right now, and I apologize in advance, but I want to skip to the end of the story. 
Okay, we're going to skip to the end of the story in chapter 4, turn in your Bibles there, and then we're going to go back and catch the middle, and I'm going to piece it all together, and you're going to understand, you're going to see this. In Acts chapter 4, verse 18, picking up the story at the end, check this out. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. You see, they threw him in jail, and the next day, the religious leaders called Peter and John to meet before them. And they, they, they dealt with them a little bit. And they were so frustrated by what they heard, they, they kicked them out of the room so they could meet and talk about how do we handle these two guys? What are we going to do with Peter and John? And what they decided to do was to tell them, just don't talk about Jesus. Just don't talk about him. That's what we're going to ask you to do. Just don't teach in the name of Jesus. Now, isn't that basically the message of our culture today? You can follow Jesus. You can teach your kids to follow Jesus, but don't bring it to school. Don't talk about it here. Don't bring it to work. Don't talk about it. Don't, oh, no, not the neighborhood meeting. You know, don't, let's not do that here. You can do it on your own, but isn't that the message somewhat of our culture today? And look at what happens here in, in verse 19. Because Peter's got a response as they've called him back out. Peter and John answered and said, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. In other words, What you think is right in God's eyes is one thing, but what we think is right in God's eyes is another thing. And we can't stop talking about it. We've got to talk about it. That's what what Peter's basically saying. Now, the interesting thing is when you really study and you know this passage, you understand that these religious leaders were a lot like Peter and John. These were Jewish men. They, They grew up studying the Old Testament scriptures. I mean, they believed that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were all sent by God. They, they believed a lot of the same things. As a matter of fact, one key element, basically, that they didn't agree on. And that is this. Peter and John believed Jesus to be the Messiah. They added Jesus to the equation. These religious leaders did not. And that's what separated them. And so these religious leaders basically said, listen, you just can't talk about Jesus. Just don't talk about him. And, and they're like, look at verse 20. This is powerful. Peter says, listen, for we cannot but speak. Of what we have seen and what we have heard. In other words, we cannot help but speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. And this is so huge. They couldn't stop talking about it. It wasn't about a belief system being different. It wasn't about your theology against my theology, your doctrine against my doctrine. It wasn't about a philosophy or any of those different types of things. Peter and John said, listen, we've seen something. We've heard something so significant It's changed us. We're different. We can't stop talking about it. We didn't make this up. This isn't a new belief system. It's undeniable. And the reason we can't shut up is because it happened. We saw it and we heard it. And we got to keep talking about it. And that's where they were. Let me tell you why this is so important for us. Those of us who are here today and you're you're a believer, you're a follower of Christ. I want you to know why this is so huge. Because if you struggle with fishing... If you struggle with inviting people to church, you need to understand that a lot of us, we struggle because we think we've got to have all the answers. We struggle because we think we're going to enter into some kind of a big religious debate. And if we don't know everything, then we can't fish. And that's not what Peter and John did. They simply said, listen, this is what we've seen. This is what we heard, and we can't stop talking about it. That's how they lived their life. You see, Christians believe that something happened. Something so significant, so huge, that it split history in half, 
Guys, we date our calendar to this event today, 2,000 years later. It was so significant. It wasn't just a feeling. It wasn't just something. It was a historical event that took place that happened. Now, the question is this. What did they see? What did they hear? We've got to answer that question. Why fish? But we need to know why. What did they see? What did they hear to help us answer that question of why fish? So look with me here. In Acts chapter 4, verse 5 and 7, I'm going to jump back into the middle of the story. In verse 5, it says, On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. This is the day after they had been arrested. They gather them back in with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander. Listen, big names here. You talk about name dropping, this is it. Some of these names are very significant, even in historical, other historical documents other than the Bible. And all who were um, of the high priestly family, all of the bigwigs were gathered together. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired. They asked Peter and John, by what power, by what name did you do this? In other words, here's the issue, guys. There's a guy who was crippled from birth. We all knew him, we've all seen him. They'd carry him to the temple gates. We've seen him for years. I mean, this is it. He begged for alms. But all of a sudden, this guy's running around. I mean, his legs work today. What's going on? What's your magical powers? How did you do this? What took place? How did you make this happen? And look at what happens in verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders... If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, you want to know by what power this man can now walk? You want to know by what power or what name his life has been changed and he's now praising God and leaping in the air? It's the name of of Jesus Christ, whom, and I think at this point, Peter, in this sermon, must have been pointing at these religious leaders. He said, whom you crucified, and yet whom God raised from the dead. You want to know why I can't be quiet? Because like you, I watched him hang on a cross. I watched him die, and I stuck my head in an empty tomb three days later. And I saw him. I met the risen Christ. I saw the nail-scarred hands. And, and, and he, he appeared to over 500 people. We're not making this thing up. This truly happened. We've seen him with our own eyes. We've heard him with our ears. We know this has taken place. And because of that, we're going to be fishers of men. We can't stop talking about it. Whom, crucif whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. Look how the verse finishes. By him this man is standing before you well. Or we would say healed. Completely new. This Jesus is the stone. This is huge. Don't miss this. This is a reference back to Psalm 118. And all these religious leaders and their Jewish heritage, they would have known this passage of Scripture. They would have understood this. They would have read it. They would have thought to themselves, who would be so ridiculous to miss the Messiah? Who would be so crazy and dumb to pass up on the true cornerstone that God had set aside? And here's what Peter says. He says, this is Jesus, the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which God now has taken and making the cornerstone. He's basically saying, guys, listen, you're famous. You are now a fulfillment of prophecy. 
the prophecy you read about in Psalm 118, but I've got bad news for you. You're on the wrong side of that. You're the ones who cast away the cornerstone. You're the ones who led him to be crucified. And yet God has raised him from the dead. Look at verse 12. If you haven't caught it yet, Peter's really going to nail in here. He's going to hit the bullseye, so to speak. He's going to help us to understand this whole concept of why fish. Verse 12, and there is, check this out, there is salvation. That's present tense. That's right now. There is salvation in no one else. These religious leaders had to stop and think for just a second. No one else. That's, that's a person. No one. It's never been a person. In the Old Testament, it was a perfect lamb, right? It was an animal who was crucified, or an animal who was, who was sacrificed on an altar for God. It was about doing certain things to make God happy, living a certain way. It was about doing all the right stuff. It was never a one. It was never a person. And yet, he says, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given. The word given. I want you to look at that word because in the Greek, that's in the perfect tense, which basically means it's given once for all. It will not be repeated. He said, once and for all, this gift has been given for you and for me, once and for all. And there is no salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. And that's his message to these religious leaders, to everyone that was hearing in hearing distance there that day. He said, I'm not going to argue theology. I'm not going to tell you this is fair. I'm not going to tell you I understand everything about it. But this one thing I do know, there is no other name that has ever been given by which we might find forgiveness. And we believe it's Jesus Christ. That's who we believe it is. Because we saw him. Hang on a cross. We saw him die. We saw the empty tomb. We saw him afterwards. And guys, listen, if a man claims to be the only way to forgiveness and he, he's died, I mean, he's dead, he's been crucified, and then he rises again, raises again from the dead, I'm going to follow that guy. I'm going to follow him. That's what I'm going to do. And that's basically what they were saying. They are saying, listen, this is a brand new day. This is a brand new way. There has never been a name. There has never been a person, and we know it's Jesus Christ, the true cornerstone. Acts chapter 4 verse 13 is so powerful. Look at what happens. As as Peter and John have boldly stood before these religious men, after spending a night in jail, after healing the crippled man through the power of God, and now after sharing this story, look at what happens In verse 13, now, this is the religious leaders, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, just like you and I, just common, regular people, they were astonished. And they recognized that they'd been with Jesus. Guys, do you know why we fish? We fish Because the message of salvation is not an intuitive message. It's not an intuitive message. Do you know what that means? That means that you and I, there's no way, it doesn't matter your IQ, you can't go sit down under a tree and figure this out on your own. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And that he hung on a cross 
that he shed his blood, what we sang about earlier in a powerful way in our worship service this, this morning, and that he was placed in a tomb, and three days later the stone was rolled away, and that the risen Lord met with over 500 people, and our calendars are dated by this event today. It's not about a feeling, it's about a historical event that took place. Guys, and it's, it's not an intuitive message. The only way you and I can learn and understand and hear or uh, uh, grasp history is for someone to tell us about it. You may figure out there's a God on your own as you look at the heavens and the earth and everything that's being created around you because people are doing that all over the world. But you will never come to an understanding that there is only salvation through one. It's not an intuitive message. It can only be gained if we share it. That's the reason we fish. We believe 2,000 years ago, a man came to earth and he was sent by God to be the salvation of all men and women who would receive him as Savior. That's why we fish. That's why we talk about him.